nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Hi, this is Leanne Meyer, and thank you for joining us again on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. And our topic today, or title of our show today, is Dr. Paul Shanfield, A Vision of Medicine's Future. I don't often do this, but I had such an enjoyable time talking with Dr. Shanfield the last time he was on. Um, I invited him back. He's a retired neurologist from St. Paul, and um, he has been looking at the healthcare crisis that we face um, currently, and he wrote a book, uh, published a book um, recently called A Migraine in Room 3, A Stroke in Room 4, to emphasize the shift from patient-centered care to the medical problem in uh, room X, basically, whichever room you want to say. But I was fascinated as I read his book and realizing that it is accessible to all, whether a medical person or a patient. Um, he uses succinct nuggets of how he looks at healthcare as he has practiced it over 40 years and as he teaches it now. Uh, from the patient's point of view, with a high level of understanding of their history and the uniqueness of them as individuals. And then uh, in this complicated mess we call healthcare in our in the United States right now, many people are really struggling to have a sense of what is, what was, and what could be in medicine. So we're going to uh, talk about that now. So welcome back. Uh, Dr. Shanfield, I am so happy to have you here. Um, say just a little bit about yourself and how you got to the book. Well, thank you, Leanne. I'm really happy to be invited back to Voice of America, Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. I retired from 40 years of practicing uh, neurology in the end of 2015, and I decided to give back to the community in two ways. One is to continue to teach. So I volunteer at various uh, family practice clinics, including the United uh, Family Practice Clinic in St. Paul and the Bethesda Family Practice Clinic in St. Paul, and also the University of Minnesota, where I'm a clinical professor of neurology. The other way I decided to give back to my community is to write a book about medicine. Um, A Migraine in Room 3 is an interesting journey. It initially was going to be a coffee table book of cute things patients had told me. I actually wrote down all of the cute little things patients say or wise things people Mm -hmm. say and was going to put them in a book and send it out. Things like, Doctor, my pain feels like a hippopotamus took a bite out of my buttocks. (laughs) Um, That pretty clearly explains to me what that patient's uh, problem was, right? Or another patient said to me, I don't have this, that, and the other thing, Doc. I have this, that, and everything wrong with me. (laughs) 
Um, but as I was writing it, uh, my writing coach and my family said, no, no, you have to put this in perspective of the healthcare system today. Mm-hmm. And I therefore began analyzing how healthcare has changed in the years that I've been practicing. And I do believe it is in crisis today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there are some symptoms you've talked about in your book. Can you share those here? Yes. I think healthcare in America is in crisis because the costs continue to rise despite variable, even mediocre medical outcomes. Mm-hmm. Second, there's a current reliance on corporate business mile, which emphasizes data, numbers, and systems and the providers, rather than focusing on the patient. My whole career was based on focusing on the patient as an individual in need. And that has been taken away to some extent by the corporate business model. And third, there's widespread patient and physician dissatisfaction. As you probably know, if you've gone to the doctor, you're probably not happy when you leave. Mm -hmm. And your physician was so unhappy that that person is gone now and there's a new physician in their place. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's really a widespread medical crisis, in my opinion. And it seems like, too, um, the way you practice medicine was heart-to-heart, where you were listening completely to what the person has to say and then looking at that big picture to really be able to understand, okay, uh, from knowing where that patient's coming from, their history, their whatever else that they're bringing to the table, their own personality, and sometimes probably the um, bits of information that the family allows you to have that the patient may not, um, and then your own practice and knowledge of what's going on, you can probably get a better idea of where to go with this patient as opposed to maybe the um, uh, the internist says, well, um, not sure what you've got, but it seems something around neurology, let's send you to some subspecialties. So it just seems like that heart is being lost. And that's the care in healthcare. That's that's where it comes back. And not just physicians, but nurses and just about anybody in the healthcare field is losing their passion for what they're doing because they seem to be losing that connection. So um, I know your book talks also about that that corporate style of healthcare. Do you want to address that? Uh, yes, I'd be happy to. The next time you go to a physician or a nurse practitioner or a provider of some kind, um, you should be aware that we are being incentivized by the corporate business model to as quickly as possible translate what you're saying into a billable diagnostic code that has a best practices guideline that we can print out and give you for treatment. Now, this sounds fine, and that's why the business model is pushing this. However, if you think about it, most people are unique, and each of us seldom is a classic example of a prototype of a disease. Now, of course, if you have 
you know, the five symptoms of strep throat and you have a strep throat and your doctor quickly diagnoses and give you mm-hmm. penicillin, then that works out fine. <laughs> Second, the treatment guidelines and diagnostic guidelines are just that. They're guidelines. They're not supposed to be followed by each person. It should be changed by what that unique individual needs at that moment. And then thirdly, this quickly blunts the physician's interest in hearing your true story. Now, as I mentioned, I kept 40 years of patient quotes in my pocket like one elderly man said to me, I looked in the mirror yesterday and I don't know how we ever won World War II looking like that. <laughs> okay. So cute little stories, wise stories, uh, but short vignettes. And I realized uh, in 19, excuse me, in 20, probably 13, that I hadn't put a single sheet of paper in my pocket with a patient quote in six months. And I realized that that was because of the electronic medical record and the emphasis on data and codes and, you know, meaningful use and all of these seemingly wonderful ideas. But I wasn't being given time to listen to what a patient was telling me. So I wasn't asking them how multiple sclerosis really made them feel. I would just want to know, is it flaring up or is it not? And what are you taking? Are you taking your pills? And then the next case. Exactly. Yeah, so um, another thing that I found interesting and also something I could connect to was all of the myths that seemed to be propagated about um People who are practicing medicine and um, some of those things. So maybe those we could uh, chat about a little bit, too. I'd love to. That's where the book starts, is the myths being propagated to cover up our dissatisfaction with medical medicine today. The first myth is all medical practitioners are interchangeable. And it is well known that patients respond differently to different physicians and different practitioners. Second, we are told that to provide the highest quality of care, the practitioner doesn't need a history with that individual patient, despite everyone knowing that, quote, context matters. Absolutely. I mean, so many things could be ruled out by the patient being able to really say uh, how this is exactly uh, impacting them um, and, and what makes them unique. Uh, what is their history of their family? Those kinds of things. That just really shocked me when I read that because that just seems like it goes back as far as there are physicians. You need to find out what is the history of this individual person and the medical problems that they have. It just seems illogical to, to leave that out. Well, it's the business style of medicine, right? You're not counting the dollars and cents, right? right? So that's why the your physician or clinic physician doesn't go to the hospital 
anymore, or most of them don't go in the hospital anymore because they have so much overhead and so much to do in the clinic, they can't get there. Mm -hmm. So the person that's seeing you when you're most ill has never seen you before. And doesn't know you. Can you imagine that? Yeah, I can. I've been there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The third thing that seems to me to be a myth is that we're being told that physicians and patients are just like they always were, that their roles have not changed. Well, indeed, when I came across this, the word patient comes from the Latin, which means suffering or bearing affliction. And if you go to a healthcare system now, they're not called patients anymore. They're called customers or consumers. Mm -hmm. And that's not the same thing as somebody who's bearing an affliction, obviously. Words mean, their meaning of words are important. And they do impact how we um, use them or how we we act in reaction to knowing what they are. If you know that that patient is a person, you react a lot differently than if they're a customer. Doctor comes from the Latin docere, which means to teach. So if we're converting all of the physicians and nurse practitioners to providers, that doesn't imply a teacher. It doesn't even provide a prof- doesn't even imply a professional. To me, it provide it implies a quote prepackaged medical delivery vehicle, which is not the same thing. Right. Fourth, physician extenders always provide reliable care. Now, physician pre- extenders, nurse say, practitioners, say what you mean by that. Yeah, the nurse, nurse practitioners, physician assistants are very good and very appropriate in this day of hassled physicians. Um, one of my patients said to me, Dr. Shanfield, you are like God. I said, oh, well, thank you. No, 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 you don't know what I mean. Uh, I mean that everyone has heard of you, but no one's ever seen you. (laughs) Yeah. So you can't get into the clinic, so you try a physician extender. You try a nurse practitioner, a physician assistant to help see some of your patients. Mm -hmm. Although when I did that, one of my other patients said, you go tell Dr. Shanfield that he can run, but he cannot hide. (laughs) So if you think physician extenders are always providing quality care, it may surprise you that physicians under which they work have no training whatsoever in oversight and how to do it. Mm-hmm. How so, to make the, get the best from those people who are working for you. Right. So if you thought that it was a good idea, you would probably train people to to um, have it happen correctly. Fifth, technology, we are told, always compensates for healthcare fragmentation. Everyone knows that the healthcare is fragmented now. There's a specialist for this and a specialist for that. And um, there's a... Uh, you know, no longer a transcriptionist. There is Dragon, which is voice-activated um, dictation, which is is not ready for prime time, in my opinion. But, but 
is being used anyway. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite examples is I sent a letter to um, a physician in Edina, Minnesota, which is the city of Minnesota, and it came out to this physician at Rheumatology and Arthritis Consultants in the vagina, Minnesota. <laughs> so that worked well. Yeah, actually, I have used um, Dragon Speak also, and because of some of the problems with my jaw, I apparently am not very understandable to technological kinds of things. And it, um, you think you're speaking very clearly, and and then something comes out wrong. I found a lot of times I was spending more time editing what Dragon was trying to um, translate for me than I was if I had just written it myself. Absolutely right. Then the electronic medical record. Now, there's technology for you that wasn't ready for prime time, but we were encouraged and uh, penalized if we didn't do it under the Obama administration. Um, And it was widely uh, acclaimed to save money and expand uh, knowledge and improve medicine. Availability of those medical records. Yes. Well, there's no evidence it's health uh, care, and it's well known that it's cost billions and billions of dollars rather than saved any money because its workflow has nothing to do with clinical workflow. So it, it's not built by clinicians, unfortunately. Right. Um, and protocol, so then we say, okay, don't worry about that. There are protocols and checklists, just like being on an airplane, and everything will be kind because we have protocols. Matter of fact, there's a book called Your Hospital Should Fly, because a few years ago there was zero deaths from Amer- from airline uh, commercial airlines uh, in America one year, and there were no deaths. So, and we know that there are a lot of mistakes in medicine, a lot of deaths. So, we should just have protocols and checklists. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem with that is, of course, is Professor Cameron way back in the '60s said, "Not everything that counts can be counted, and not everything that can be counted counts." Mm-hmm. So that confuses the whole situation a great deal. Uh, Finally, um, the practitioner, the physician, the nurse practitioner always has the patient's interest as their number one criteria for what they do. And, you know, that's not necessarily the case, it turns out, I'm afraid. To save time... I might order tests, whether I need them or you need them or not, just to get you out of my office, Hmm. um, which is really a sad um, thing. And patients also demand tests. There's no end to the information that we see about all kinds of tests and medicines all over the place. And, you know, we come to the doctor, we want the tests, we want the meds, we want it. So we and demand. if they walk out without it, they think you didn't do anything for them. You didn't give them a prescription, you didn't send them for a test. What did you accomplish? Exactly right. We're going to um, take this point to take a break here. And, <clears throat> excuse me. So we are, um, today I'm talking with Dr. Paul Shanfield. 
and uh, we're talking about a vision, a vision, his vision, uh, many people's vision of medicine's future, and we're kind of just starting with where we are right now. So we will be back in just a few minutes, and I hope you will join us back at that time. listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has a mobile app for iOS, Android, or Amazon Kindle. Visit the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. If you like what you're hearing on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, consider supporting the show. In the one year since the show started, we've increased our listening audience by nearly 7,900% and our goal to reach 50 countries and counting. Whether you are looking to reach a regional, national, or worldwide audience, you'll have a competitive advantage by advertising on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. It's the perfect platform. Contact Senior Executive Producer Tacey Trump today at 480-294-6421. That's 480-294-6421. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Welcome back, and thanks for sticking with us today. Um, I'm talking with Dr. Paul Shanfield, who is a retired neurologist from St. Paul, and he is talking about some of the aspects um, of his book, um, uh, A Migraine in Room 3 and A Stroke in Room 4. And his point is to show uh, a vision of the future. And so we've been talking about some of the different things that are happening now and some of the things that um, are a corporate look at healthcare, but don't really um, address the issues that um, providers need to 
have addressed. So um, a barrier or some of the barriers in physicians being able to be their best self as a physician, um, you have a number of those. Let's talk about those a little bit. What are some of the things that create barriers for uh, physicians and um, providers to be able to really um, connect with the patient? Well, I uh, recently gave a lecture that was interactive with physicians at one of the hospitals in St. Paul, and I raised the issue, what are the barriers to providing good clinical care? And the first thing that was yelled out was time, 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 direct patient face time is extremely limited. Matter of fact, one of my patients said she really liked her internist. She'd been there for years. However, recently, uh, the internist has one eye on the clock and one eye on the computer and occasionally looked at her. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another patient told me, well, you don't have to apologize, Dr. Shanfield, for looking and typing in the computer sometimes. All the patients are getting used to seeing their physicians in profile. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The corporate-style health systems is the second barrier. As they are into numbers, there's all kinds of physician oversight from government and and uh, insurance companies. Believe it or not, there are 68,000 outpatient codes and another 68,000 hospital and surgical codes. Leanne, I was once complaining to a patient that about the codes and said, do you know that there's a separate code for alligator bite and a separate code for crocodile bite? And she said, well, you're lucky, Dr. Shantel, because actually I know this, there are 23 species of <laughs> crocodilians. <laughs> and uh, another remarkable code is ICD V97.33XD, which is a code for a person being sucked into a jet engine. Yeah, and you see that all the time, right? (laughs) (laughs) All the time, all the time. Uh, Fragmentation of care is getting worse and worse. Uh, Physicians, really to protect themselves, um, are becoming subspecialized. Uh, This helps them cull the amount of information they have to keep up on. And also, many of the subspecialties have less call than to be more of a generalist. Mm -hmm. I mean, a general neurologist gets called in the middle of the night for stroke sometimes. Well, if I subspecialized in Parkinson's disease, not a lot of Parkinson's emergencies at midnight. Mm -hmm. So uh, that would um, save me. Uh, the amount of work I had to do keeping up and also made my life easier. So physicians are doing that whether or not we need another Parkinson patient, Mm -hmm. Uh, excuse me, a Parkinson specialist. So fragmentation is really getting worse and worse, um, I'm afraid. The escalating cost, despite uh, the variable outcomes we talked about, there is a big push in medicine to do something. Our compensation favors me doing something to you, Leanne, rather than to listen to you or try and help you. Right. 
there's an unstable physician nursing workforce. Since we're all unhappy, we're moving from place to place. And with changes of physicians, they have to start over. They don't know you, and they order new tests, and it increases the cost of health care. Mm-hmm. Uh, the technology, we talked about how much money EMR has cost, the electronic medical record, without any reward in uh, medical outcome and any reward in saving uh, money. Not to mention the fact that those people who should not get that information are able to hack and even disrupt uh, medical records. I know in California a couple of years ago, uh, a couple of systems were completely shut down and basically were um, paying ransom to get their, their medical system back up again. That's very, very true. There's overhead costs are going up, all the insurance uh, issues, the government oversight. So um, the costs are going up to cover the overhead. Now, of course, costs are going up for some good reasons, right, which is medical advances and new drugs and new treatments. Although, as we all know, big big farm, uh, you know, increase their insulin costs a huge amount, even though insulin isn't a new drug. Uh, so we have a lot of various and issues. And the costs of producing it probably have not gone up. Yeah. Right, right. So it's kind of the greed. Greed. Uh, there's three things that I've heard um, are the most destructive in the world, and that's greed, anger, and ignorance. And it seems like at least greed and ignorance are coming in there quite a bit lately. Um, where people just don't even want to look at what does this mean? I'm setting a price and these people have to pay it because it's their life or pay it. It's, it's not really a lot of choice. So, yeah, so that's... Uh, so how discouraging. Yes. <laughs> now we're, we're going to have something more encouraging, right? Yes, let's do something I, about this. I was thinking this. of when you were talking of this one of the things you don't hear very much about, and this um, this is not scientific whatsoever, just my observations through 40 years of being a nurse, that I found that I feel that the people who are most likely to sue their provider are the people who the provider did not treat them as a human being, did not know them, did not interact with them as um, as a person, as somebody that they knew and they uh, had a relationship with. And the people who tended to get sued were those people who didn't do that. The people who had a relationship with their um, patients, it seems like they could do horrendous mistakes and the patient would forgive them as a human being because you treated me as a human being. I'm looking at you as a human being also. And... Uh, this always amazed me because many times some of those people being sued were the uh, most knowledgeable, um, maybe the most educated. Uh, many ways they should have been superior to anybody else, but the people that uh, patients wanted to go to and the people that were forgiving of mistakes tended to people be people who were treated as a human being. And you don't hear much about that. Well, that's one of the major steps, in my view, to improve healthcare in America, mm-hmm. is to emphasize what I call social emotional learning for all medical providers, mm-hmm. uh, 
nurses and physicians alike, you don't hear much about this. There, There aren't many sessions where we're taught to listen to people. Mm-hmm. Um, to make sure you have empathy. And that you've to, heard them. Yes. You know, having what they said run through your um, ears does not mean you heard them. And until they can validate, yes, doctor, you've got it. That is what I was trying to say. You haven't heard them from their point of view. And to make sure that they have heard you as a medical practitioner. I learned this really early on. I did a neurology consult in a hospital, went out and was dictating on a phone. It turned out just right on the other side of a wall uh, in the patient's room. And I heard this man call his wife and explain uh, what happened. I stopped dictating, went back in and started over again because mm-hmm. what I thought I said to him and what he told his wife mm-hmm. weren't the same. Exactly. So you really have to sit down and listen. I had a beautiful example of listening when I was a third-year medical student. Okay, At the University of Minnesota, you're a third-year medical student. There's about 10 people on the treatment team. You are on the bottom. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> in the... Uh, Uh, Food chain, yeah. Right, and acknowledgement and everything. And so I walked by one of our patient rooms by myself, and I saw a woman crying. So I sat down and talked with her, and she said, well, I'm crying because no one has done anything for me. And I said, well, what? no, we've diagnosed you having Graves' disease, which is hyperactive thyroid, and we started you on radioactive iodine. <coughs> Excuse me, and um, it's going to help you. And she said, "Well, I don't really understand what you're talking about. I'm here because I have diarrhea, and I still have diarrhea. And I knew, even as a third year medical student, that diarrhea was a symptom of hyperthyroidism, and I could fix that. Yeah, I could give her something for diarrhea. Next day on rounds, I was the only one she talked to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah." <laughs> so, so we have to work on those skills. It's really important in health. health. So we should spend time in training medical students and medical residents and surgery residents, especially and fellows, to emphasize those skills. Um, I think we can take a, a break here before we go into the um, kind of the last segment that we're going to be talking about. Um, So we will be back uh, with Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. Uh, This is Leanne Meyer, and I'm here with Dr. Paul Shanfield. We're talking about what medicine could be if we are doing it the way um, that would be most helpful. So please join us on the other end of of the break. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. If you like what you're hearing on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, consider supporting the show. In the one year since the show started, we've increased our listening audience by nearly 7,900% and our goal to reach 50 countries and counting. Whether you are looking to reach a regional, national, or worldwide audience, you'll have a competitive advantage by advertising on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. It's the perfect platform. 
contact senior executive producer Tacey Trump today at 480-294-6421. That's 480-294-6421. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Thank you for coming back again. I'm, I'm uh, happy again to introduce you to Dr. Paul Shanfield. Um, he is a neurologist, a retired neurologist in St. Paul, recently wrote a book called uh, A Migraine in Room 3, A Stroke in Room 4. And I am very happy that he is teaching because I think a lot of the things that he's saying are not new. In fact, they're so old, they go back to Hippocrates uh, in, in Greece. And a lot of the things that we're talking about, uh, lip service is given to them, but not actually necessarily teaching people how to do this. If they don't have that as a natural ability, um, how, how do you teach them? Um, one of the things that uh, is in the book, it's a quote from Hippocrates saying, cure sometimes, treat often, comfort always. So simple, so direct but so important and often not done. That's absolutely true, Leanne. So um, how do we fix healthcare in America today? We work on nurses and physicians' social-emotional skill sets with communication, listening, honesty, humility. You ever hear of that? Yeah, that's a real tough one to find. (laughs) Focus on educating and counseling patients. By the way, we don't get financially rewarded very much right. for 
talking to people or counseling them. Uh, it's more doing something to the person. But isn't that where the emotional reward is? Absolutely. And I keep coming back to this because I keep I, I have this idea of how many physicians and nurses and and uh, care providers are committing suicide. So there's some reason something's missing from what it is that they're trying to do. And this seems to me the things that are probably most likely. Well, imagine if you realize that next time you went to a physician, there is probably a 50% chance that the person in front of you acting as a physician has a one uh, has at least one major symptom of professional burnout. Mm-hmm. That person may not listen to you as well uh, if mm-hmm. he or she was in his prime, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have to work on this emotional interest uh, and skill set. We must treat people as individuals in need, not as medical problems, that's a migraine in room three, a stroke in room four. There isn't a migraine in room three. There isn't a stroke in room four. There's a person with a migraine and another person who suffered a stroke in those Mm -hmm. rooms three and four. As Hippocrates, by the way, Hippocrates was about the fifth century BCE. So that's a long time ago, 2,500 years ago or more. Uh, he once said, it is more important to know the person who has the condition than it is to know the condition the person has. That's interesting. Say more about that. Well, it is very helpful to realize how illness affects a person, whether you necessarily can label it or whatever. A woman told me that when she gets a multiple sclerosis flare-up, her husband pours her, literally on her, in her words, pours her on the couch, and the TV watches her sleep. Mm-hmm. I think I understand what a flare-up of MS means yeah. to her. I wouldn't understand it if I just said, oh, you had a flare-up? Okay, onward. Right. Next. And these are the symptoms that blah, 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 blah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So we must have a long-term physician-patient relationship. That includes getting your physician from the clinic back into the hospital to see you when you're sick. Now, your primary care physician may not be an expert in heart disease when you're admitted with a heart attack, but that woman physician may certainly have a valid assessment of how you want to be treated or how you should be treated because you're a unique person that she knows. So that's a very important. Actually, the thing that I have realized too is that the minimum patients expect from us is that we are competent and capable and knowledgeable and all of those other things. That's the minimum they're expecting from us. What they want us to do is go above and beyond and that they become special to us in some way, shape, or form that we can show that to them. Um, I was talking last week about a friend of mine that just died of multiple uh, myeloma, and her oncologist, who is a very well-renowned person in uh, the um, Hennepin County system in Minneapolis, um, 
actually after five years of keeping her alive uh, in times when it just seemed impossible, he walked her out to her car, busy oncologist, walked her out to her car, helped her out of the wheelchair, gave her a huge hug, told her he loved her, and put her in the car. I don't know how many people are able to take that time, but it said a lot to me about my friend, as well as it said about that uh, physician that was able to show what he felt about this particular person because of all she'd been through with him, and he knew that it was coming to an end. Yes, I actually did that, and of course you have to be careful about hugging people these days, (laughs) but this woman was in the hospital and she was distraught because her husband was so ill with a bad stroke, and an internist and I were standing there with her, and she said, well, he's going to be fine, isn't he? Um, And I kind of looked at her and walked over and gave her a hug, and she broke out crying and said, he's not going to make it, is he? So I didn't have to say anything. Right. Um, You have to care about people Mm -hmm. and what the illness means to them. It's Mm -hmm. really just so important. Um, But let let me go a little bit different tack for a minute. Let's not let people off the hook, though. Okay. okay? Patients, okay? (laughs) For this healthcare system to be improved um, and this physician-patient collaboration improved, as patients, we have to do something. We have to have some element of compliance. We have to agree to have shared decision-making. That's, that's important. Um, now, hopefully the physician will give you the option to have shared decision-making. And we have to make durable lifestyle alterations to help ourselves. Mm-hmm. There's a whole two, two sections um, in the book on health care lifestyle suggestions and how people kind of made excuses to me. Right. Wonderful excuses. (laughs) (laughs) One woman said, well, I joined that health club, Dr. Shanfield, three months ago, just like you told me, and I have to quit now because it's too expensive. I said, well, that's too bad. How much was it? She goes, it was $100 a session at the health club. I said, Really? A hundred dollars? She said, yeah, it was a $200 initiation fee. It was $33 a month. And I went three times in three months. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's not making a durable (laughs) lifestyle change, obviously. Many people just wanted the doctor to tell them something and fix it. Mm-hmm. So we, it has to go both ways here. You have to accept responsibility for sharing decision-making. Uh, we're not in the era anymore of big daddy doctor telling you what right. to do. And you have to have compliance in what they tell you to do to some extent. And you have to try and improve your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. We have... Um Probably about uh, five minutes or so yet. Is there anything um, here yet that we haven't covered? We don't have to go into the these uh, end yet, but um, just like in the next couple of minutes, 
what what is something you really want to get in? Well, I would really like the whole system to be a bit changed. Um, I'd like the burden of record keeping and coding for both nurses and physicians shifted to support staff so that nurses and physicians can get back to taking care of people Mm -hmm. and letting somebody else document what happened. Mm -hmm. I would like uh, the judicious use of physician extenders, of nurse practitioners and physician assistants, so that there's good communication back and forth and Mm -hmm. the right things are done at the right time. I would like general residency specialty training programs to be advanced enough so that physicians don't have to go into subspecialties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that subspecialty medicine has led to more fragmentation, uh, more expense, and indeed more treating people as medical problems rather than individuals with a problem. Right. I used to get consults from other special, let's say a stomach doctor, GI doctor. Um, And he said, well, I didn't find anything, but maybe the stomach pain is neurological. What do you think? That was 20 years ago. Now the GI specialists don't consult me anymore. They just do their tests and tell the patient, well, there's, I can't find anything. Goodbye. But I still have stomach pain. The patient will say, yeah, but it's not my problem. It's not in my field. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so they're not treating that individual in need. They're Mm -hmm. looking for a medical problem that they can quickly fix, Mm -hmm. and otherwise they're gone. And no hope. You know, there's no, like, I don't know, but here's another thing you could think about. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Okay, here's another idea. Um, So those things are really important, and we should train physicians and nurses um, for the needs of the population, right. not for other reasons. We're training other subspecialists for other reasons, whether or not we need another multiple sclerosis doctor. Mm-hmm. Right. So those are many of the things we need. Finally, we need a healthcare system that is proactive, that realizes that episodic care for a Acute problems isn't the only way to practice medicine. We need to have a comprehensive approach to support people's life and how to have long-term significant Mm -hmm. input. So it's really important that we do those things in general. Do you think that it's changing at all, like with this new uh, technologically savvy generations that have come in? They're, they're looking up their symptoms, and they're doing a lot of things, and I can see where that would work against you and for you, because as a student nurse, I had every single disease that we were studying, <laughs> or thought I did. Um, but is there anything, uh, is this generation perhaps a little bit more willing to be a part of the solution? Oh, I hope they are. Um, the technology cuts both ways because healthcare technology is way behind. Mm-hmm. One of the healthcare technology gurus who I talked to uh, recently said the young people in healthcare have a quote, which is, I work in healthcare during the day 
And in the evening, I go home and rejoin the 21st century <laughs> because the electronic medical records and mm-hmm. hospitals are 20 years behind. Right. Uh, so it's, you know, I hope there's going to be uh, a difference. Let me uh, kind of end with another Hippocrates quote because he understood how to take care of people. Mm-hmm. He said, when there is love of medicine, there is love of humankind, mm-hmm. really. And that's the point, right? You go into this field to take care of people that you care about. It's not to send bills and mm-hmm. have a whole bunch of codes and everyone looking over your shoulder. It's, right. it's you know, a significant problem. I would think the things that are most frustrating is to have those people who are making the regulations and who are putting in the barriers that know nothing whatsoever about healthcare. Nevertheless, not to mention your specialty. They don't know anything about healthcare, period, and yet somehow those are the people that are seemingly making um, the minutiae of how uh, medicine is supposed to happen. That might be a whole nother show. <laughs> um, we probably need um, your summary if you'd like to talk about that. Well, we have talked about the reasons why I think, and I think Leanne agrees, healthcare in America is in crisis today. I hope we've clarified, at least in a small way, many of the fundamental ills infecting our system of care. And I hope that we can put the care back in health care if we approach it as the patient first, to put the patient-centered care in the center of the whole system. And I hope that is what happens in the near future. Well, I think it's going to be a lot of us. uh, I think a lot of the people that are actually working right now, everyone I talk to seems so overloaded and so uh, frazzled that it may be those of us who are retiring that have can take the time to see what can I do to make this better. And um, one thing I think would be a start for a lot of people is if you're interested in reading this book, I think it would be helpful and humorous and fun and interesting. So um, there is a website for it called a migraine in room 3.com or you can go to Amazon or did you say there was another place that you could find it? Well, it's published by bookbaby.com. There is a link in a migraine in room 3. 3 is just a number 3.com. Mm-hmm. There's a link there, but there is a digital edition. There's a soft cover printed book, uh, and both of them for Mother's Day and Father's Day, we are putting on <laughs> sale for the next two months. Sounds wonderful. <laughs> we have to leave. It's been a really wonderful conversation. I thank you so much for joining us, uh, both the listeners and Dr. Sanfield, and uh, we will be back next week. I very much appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.